As U.S. healthcare attempts to replace its volume-based payment system with one that's value-based, many organizations are struggling to find ways to measure the quality of care. But the aspects of quality that are easiest to measure aren't necessarily the ones that matter most for patients' health outcomes. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Christopher Dale, Medical Director for Quality and Value for Swedish Medical Group in Seattle. Dr. Dale has co-authored a perspective article about his organization's efforts to design a better compensation system for clinicians. Dr. Dale, you and your colleagues discovered that when you implemented some pay-for-performance metrics, performance on those measures improved, but clinicians found it stifling to expend so much effort on them. In your article, you give the example of cancer screening rates. What other metrics have similar payoffs and similar downsides? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's great to be able to talk to you guys today. Many of the metrics that we look at have kind of similar payoffs and similar downsides. You know, I work in the ICU, and so we've done some work around trying to decrease the rate of catheter-associated urinary tract infections. And we've gone from simple metrics, like we had at one point in time a does the patient need a Foley in metric, which is, on one hand, it's really easy to do. Like, we can say that on a daily basis as an ICU practitioner, like, this patient needs a Foley today or doesn't need a Foley today. But it isn't necessarily the key thing, like the key value lever that's going to produce a lack of CAUTIs in the ICU. To now we've kind of progressed to actually trying to incent our group on actually our CAUTI rate. But CAUTI rate is a difficult thing because there are a lot of causal factors that go into CAUTI rates. And so it's kind of this continuum or these kind of opposing forces that make choosing a quality metric sometimes a difficult thing. So starting from the beginning, what happened to persuade the leadership of your organization to rethink the approach to quality measurement and to clinician compensation? Yeah, I really have to give credit to Ralph Pasquale, our, the CEO of our medical group, because starting about three years ago, we realized that as we're transitioning from this fee-for-service treadmill that our group's been on, and our group's done pretty well running on that treadmill, that we needed a better way to incent providers to do the right thing, to really take a step back and think about the whole population of patients that we're trying to serve, and then have levers in place so that we can optimize the care that we deliver for those populations of patients. And so as part of that transformation that people call it, you know, the fee-for-service to, to fee-for-value, like you did in your introduction, as part of that transformation, we really have focused on how can we reorient provider attention and provider behavior. And so for us, that's really been the big thing in terms of focusing on quality or pay for performance for clinicians is how can we focus attention away from doing more of things to doing the right things. So in your article, you offer four recommendations for creating more appropriate, effective, and rewarding quality improvement and compensation systems. The first one of those recommendations is to measure what's important to patients. What sorts of metrics has that led to, and how do they differ from the standard quality metrics that other organizations use? Yeah, we're in an evolution for our group as well as for others. And what we're trying to do when we begin to talk to different groups is really ask the question of, like, what would patients want to pay for in this interaction? What do patients value? And so if it's something along the lines of improved outcomes for musculoskeletal care, then we'll have a discussion with our, like our PM&R docs on what are the things that will get us to that point in time. And then we try to be flexible in how we implement things. So we might choose something around patient education if that seems right for the group at that point in time. We might try and move it down to assessment metrics because we're beginning our evolution towards more patient-centered outcomes. We're really actually at this point in time doing a lot of paying people for documenting patient outcomes. So that could be the assessment of PHQ-9s and people uh, who are getting follow-up for depression. It could be in documenting an osteoarthritis disability index in someone who's getting follow-up for low back pain. But we view that as kind of the first step towards actually incenting people on the outcomes eventually. In fact, evaluating the effects of metrics on those outcomes is the second recommendation you make. So the end goal there for the organization is to prioritize your efforts. What's happened at Swedish Medical Group? 
What's risen to the top and what's fallen by the wayside on the basis of that approach? Yeah, this is the thing that I think that I'm most enthusiastic about because I, I think it's something that we as a nation really can move forward. And that's looking at, of, of all the different metrics for, you know, for HEDIS or for the Medicare Shared Savings Program or for Medicare Advantage or so many of these programs that we all participate in and, and really try to move the needle on, to really ask the question that if we were to optimize performance in a given metric, how would that affect the health of the people that we're trying to serve? Really trying to have that kind of the health of the patient as the lens that allows us to prioritize and to select where we're going to focus our energies. So an example for us is, we talk about it, I think, in the perspectives piece, is looking at cancer screening. So we did some back-of-the-envelope math and just looked at the number of deaths that might be prevented if we optimized our care for cervical cancer, breast cancer, or colorectal cancer screening. And we found basically a, an order of magnitude difference between those, that cervical cancer screening optimization could save us just about a life. Breast cancer would be a couple of lives, and then colorectal cancer screening could save us a couple of dozen lives. And I think there's a lot more to quality metrics than just, you know, the number of lives saved. But having that as part of the discussion, like, again, asking kind of what matters to patients and then being able to put in place systems of measuring those things for the different metrics that we're considering allows us to focus our attentions. One other example uh, related to that is that we were approached by King County here in the Seattle area on looking at HPV vaccination rate for women. That's a priority for us as a medical group. And at the same time, we were trying to evaluate the effects of focusing on hypertension. And we have very limited bandwidth when it comes to providing better care for or trying to find out ways to optimize the systems of care for people. We found that if we were to optimize treatment for hypertension, we'd save, again, you know, several hundred lives if we maintain that for a couple of years. And similarly, if we were to optimize the care for HPV vaccination, we'd save, you know, a life or two. It's a hard thing, but we view that if we take health into account, that we can actually probably make more rational choices with the allocation of limited bandwidth to focus quality improvement efforts. You talk in your article about the need to embrace quality improvement science. What do you say to physicians who believe that outsiders can't really understand medicine and that quality improvement approaches that come from other fields can't really be applied to healthcare? Um, I'd say, like, let's let's have a discussion about how you go from A to B then. I mean, I think that we have actually really good evidence that, so that some of the quality improvement strategies, and these are, you know, things that are in the, the realm of, you know, lean or Six Sigma, that those strategies can be applied to clinical processes just the way they can be applied to many other processes. And we also have good evidence within our organization and, you know, and really from, from others as well, that, that we don't really use the tools of quality improvement science all that well, that we, we do a lot of stuff that, you know, we don't really necessarily put in a control chart, you know, so show people bar graphs over time, which isn't necessarily helpful in, in drawing the inference that we're looking for, knowing if a process variable has actually been optimized. So I think that we in medicine have a long way to go in quality improvement science to optimize the care that we're delivering for our patients. Finally, you recommend that we should acknowledge that quality metrics have limitations in terms of how they can be used to set compensation. How much of a role do you think they should have in that area if the primary goal is higher value care? Yeah, I think that's a great question and a great point. I mean, one of the things that we think about is that no metric is perfect. That metrics can be helpful, but they all have their flaws. And I think oftentimes people get very wrapped up in the nuances of metrics. And we've kind of come to think about it this way, that, you know, the choice of metric can help focus provider attention. And the choice of threshold on the metric actually determines provider compensation. And there are two things that are very interrelated, but they're very different. And so that you can focus provider attention on something that's difficult. Let's say it's producing improved patient outcomes with respect to back pain. You can choose a threshold that respects the provider interest to be appropriately compensated for high-quality work. And we don't have it solved. You know, we're still working hard at that. But I think that recognizing that the threshold and the choice of metric are two different things and decoupling them allows for a more fruitful discussion with providers. Thank you, Dr. Dale.